0: This is Psych, Wine, and Pop Culture, a podcast brought to you by two best friends, Kristen and Heather. Join us for a glass of wine, providing a psychological perspective on popular TV shows and movies
1: and candid conversations about mental health. This podcast is not meant to replace or supplement medical advice from a health practitioner. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. So, this time I'm going to start it off because I want to share some special news that Kristen has. It's super amazing and I'm so proud of her. And guess what, guys? She got her dream job. Ooh, I wish you could put clapping in there and like cheering. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so I say it's my dream job um, because it's something I've been wanting to do since I left news reporting. Ever since I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a news reporter. And right out of college, I did it, and it just was not for me, and it was such an eye-opening experience, you know, knowing so young that that's just not what I wanted to do with my life like I always thought I did. And Mm -hmm. it took a lot of growing for me, but I started to see while I was there that I enjoyed doing stories over school districts and, you know, like seeing the kids and stuff like that. And I also liked nonprofit stories, so... I ended up getting a job after news reporting at a nonprofit, which gave me a lot of great experience. But I always still wanted to work for a school district, and you know, get that awesome time off that you get from all the school breaks. You got really, yeah, yeah, really good school hours. Like it's great. And I finally found a school district that wanted me. So yay! Yes, it's it's actually who wouldn't want you? Okay.
1: The other school districts that didn't want her, they were kind of dumb, because <laughs> who does not want an amazing Kristen who knows how to edit, who knows how to do media? You're like the whole package, so.
0: Oh, thank you. I mean, this person I'm going to go work for, I think, is going to be a really great mentor for me, and I think that they did see that in me and um, see that I have potential to grow even more, you know, as a storyteller. 'Cause that's really my passion is storytelling in the digital landscape, whether it's through podcasts or through videos or anything like that. I, I really enjoy it. Oh yeah. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've been so jealous because you have like this amazing mentor who's a neuropsychologist and is bilingual and you can look up to her as like a Latina woman and you're just like, this is the person I want to learn from because she's like ethical, she's smart, she's resourceful and she takes the time to teach you.
1: And she, she enjoys teaching, which is, you know, great. You know, I don't think there's ever been an instance really where she's made me feel less than She's just a really great mentor, you know, that takes in like your strengths, but also shows you like where you can improve, which I think is basically a recipe for a good mentor. And I hope you have that too.
0: I think I will. I think I will. And that's really what made me want to apply for this job. I think this is going to be like a beneficial relationship, like both ways. So I'm really excited and I'm just so excited to share this news with you guys. It's been you know, like boiling inside for so long. Like I've been wanting to tell people because I've been in these interviews for like a couple months now, actually since before COVID. So I've been waiting for this hiring freeze to end and it finally did. So um, I'll be starting in a couple weeks and I'm just really, really, really excited. So this is going to be a new chapter for me.
1: Yeah, guys. So don't be shy. Leave us some love on Instagram. Congratulate Kristen. You know, (laughs) she'll love that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, we love celebrating our accomplishments both ways, because when you got your PhD, I had to surprise you and be like, come on, everybody, like share some love. Like she went through school for so many years. (laughs) I know. Thank you for doing that. That was very nice. Well, one more thing we wanted to talk about before we get started on our episode is voting. We wanted to talk about voting and just uh, remind you guys that we are just a few days away from the election. This episode is going to come out on Halloween, so we'll just have a few days left of early voting. Uh, Heather has cast her vote. I have done mine. So go and vote. Mm -hmm.
1: And our significant others have as well. So you know, if you haven't done so or if you have, make sure you're telling your friends, telling your know, your significant other, your family members to go out and vote.
0: Yes, make a plan. Make a plan. All right. So today's episode we are talking about the Netflix series Ratchet. <laughs> I'm so excited actually. <laughs> <sighs> We've been talking about this for a while, so go ahead. <laughs> so some people might be familiar with the character Nurse Ratchet. Because she is from the 1975 film, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. She was a raging bitch in that movie. That's what everybody knows (laughs) her. Yeah, she was not a liked character, to say the least. (laughs) Mm -mm. No, it's an old movie, but it's a really good movie. And I would definitely recommend uh, to watch it. Um, So that movie was actually based on the novel in 1962, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey. I hope I'm saying that right. Um so the Netflix series came out this year in 2020 and it stars Sarah Paulson which most of you will know her from American Horror Story. Mhm. And that does not surprise me because the creators of Ratchet on Netflix are Ryan Murphy and Ian Brennan and Ryan Murphy is from American Horror Story. He's one of the co-creators of that show. So Ratchet is a suspenseful drama series. And it tells the origin story of the asylum nurse Mildred Ratchet, played by Sarah Paulson. So in 1947, Mildred arrives to a California facility, psychiatric hospital to seek employment as a nurse. You don't really know why until you get a little bit deeper into the show, but it's an interesting premise because Mildred's not actually a nurse. She never had the training, she never went to school for it, but somehow she's able to pass off as one and convince the staff there that she has an interview with the doctor who heads the facility, and she pulls it off. She gets a job there, even though she's not qualified for it, and later down the road she actually becomes head nurse, so she even gets a promotion while she's there. Mm Mm-hmm, yep, I remember that. It's just a crazy premise, but there's a lot of interesting things that we want to pull from this show. There's a lot of like old timey medical knowledge that we kind of want to debunk, you know, as far as like, I'm sure you guys have heard of lobotomies. We'll talk about Mm -hmm. what those are. Um, There's a lot of, you know, faking mental illness, you know, is that possible? Can someone fake mental illness? So Heather will go over that. So, we're also going to be talking about a pretty popular one you guys might have heard about, Munchausen's, Munchausen syndrome, which is actually called factitious disorder in this diagnostic manual thing that Heather's always talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And also another one that people love, love, love to hear about, dissociative identity disorder, otherwise known as multiple personality disorder.
1: Nice. Good job. You got both.
0: so there are a lot of mental health conditions and themes that we're going to be talking about today and you guys know that that is such a passion for us you know the whole point of us doing this podcast is that we want to destigmatize mental health and the whole idea that you know it's something that you shouldn't talk about but for us that's all we want to do on the show is just make people comfortable hearing about uncomfortable things right Yeah, that's basically what we love to do and,
1: you know, debunking some old myths about mental health as well. You know, I I always have a lot of students ask me, do we still do lobotomies or do we still do electroshock therapy? You know, funny enough, some people do believe it because they see it in TV. So, I mean, how would they know? Exactly. If it's still done today. So, we're definitely talking about that today. Yeah, so interestingly, I mean, psychology and psychiatry, they're still very new fields, even though it may not seem like it. But, I mean, as early as the 19th century, we would, you know, lock up people who, you know, had depression or had schizophrenia, and we just lock them away in these mental institutions, and sometimes they didn't have the best care. And even today, with psychiatry and psychology, we don't know enough about mental health disorders. Um, we still, in a sense, with psychiatry, for example, Um, It's kind of like a trial and error method when it comes to medication. So, you know, you'll give a pill, see how the person reacts. So does their depression lessen or does their anxiety lessen? It kind of seems like there's not a really direct approach. It's kind of, in a sense, just plain to see what is good for that person. So we don't really actually do enough brain scans. And a lot of psychiatrists and a lot of psychological researchers say that different disorders present differently in the brain. And you could look at that with brain imaging. But we don't actually do this to
0: diagnose. Do you think that's weird? I mean, yeah, it's like you have the tools, yet you don't use them. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand that. It's so weird. It feels like we have come a long way in some ways, but then we haven't come far enough in other ways in, yes. in the field of psychology and psychiatry. And I think, I mean, there's not a lot of research out there. We do
1: need more research on brain scans and how medication is used. But I feel that maybe it has to do with bunny in a sense, because if you can just give someone one brain scan and say, hey, this is what you have, and let's try and treat it, that kind of reduces the amount of time spent in therapy, one, and also reduces maybe the amount of medication is taken, which is all less money if you think about it.
0: I know, but you know, our healthcare system's just whack, and money is just not that easy for a lot of people to come by, you know?
1: Yeah. And another fun fact, too, is that DSM 5, so that manual that I always love to talk about with all the mental disorders, mm-hmm. that barely came out in 1952. <laughs> Holy shit. So, I mean, that's really not that long ago. That's uh-huh. when we started to realize, hey, there's actually categories or there's different types of disorders. Maybe we should try and organize them and see if we can figure out what this person has. That didn't happen until the 1950s.
0: So there was no resource book or anything to diagnose people with until 1952? when the uh-huh. At least in
1: American and westernized. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: Wow. Okay. Well... That is a perfect transition into wine. Yay! All right, so who should go first? Mm, I think you should go first this time. Okay. All right, so let's see. This
1: one that I have is the white wine because Kristen has a red. So I know last time I think we did two reds, so (laughs) I did want to give you guys a choice, okay? But I was so tempted to do a red. So this white that I chose is from South Coast Winery. And it's here in Temecula Valley, California. And I was feeling a little sweet today. So this is a sweeter wine, supposedly. It's from 2016, and it's called Muscat Canelli. It has a lot of sugar. (laughs) That's what it's saying. So I'm (laughs) guessing it's kind of like Moscato. It has that sweetness to it. And it has a lot of fruit flavors. Okay. So they're right. (laughs) It is sweet. So I'm feeling it right now. Typically, I don't feel like a lot of sweet wine. But today I'm in that sweet kind of mood. I kind of taste, you know, tropical flavors. It's really smooth actually, which is nice. So I don't get any problems going down the throat. It's very smooth. I also get a little tanginess. So I'd say it's like a tangy fruit flavor.
0: Hopefully you don't get a headache from drinking too much because I know whenever I get sweet wines, I always get headaches, even if I just have one glass. Mm,
1: I think I'll be okay. I drink a lot of water beforehand.
0: So I have a Shiraz. That is my new favorite red wine. I don't know why I like them so much. They're just different. Honestly,
1: I like the way it
0: sounds. Shiraz. Shiraz. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a magic trick or something. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you told me once that I like oaky flavors. And yeah. what called me to this bottle was that it says finished in aged scotch whiskey oak barrels.
1: Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is from Jacobs Creek. It's called Double Barrel Shiraz, and it's an Australian wine from 2017. And I'm gonna go ahead and give it a try. So right off the bat, when I put my nose up to the glass, I can definitely smell whiskey. Oh, oh, (laughs) Oh, you know what? There is that too. Yeah, you know what? You know, like when you put your nose up to like Crown Royal or something. Yes. The whiskey touch is definitely not far off the palate when I try it. That's definitely the impression that I get. There is oakiness to it, but I also taste a lot of like uh cherry, you know? Mm. Yeah, like black cherry. That's really like the main it's very bold, very strong. Okay. Mhm.
1: Is this something you should sip on or is this something that you could drink a little bit quicker?
0: I opened this bottle last night, and I found myself sipping on it more. I, you know, I wasn't able to really drink it as easily as maybe like a Pinot Noir, which is a little mm. lighter. Okay. Also, I really like huh. the color to it. It has definitely like a black cherry vibe going on. So, I mean, I like it. If you, I mean, it just has like a different hint to it since it's got that Scotch whiskey flavor. So, if you like that, I think you'll like this wine. Sounds delicious. So, are we ready to get into our episode?
1: Yes. So, go ahead and get us started.
0: We're just gonna dive right in, and we're gonna yep
1: right into the best topic or the most interesting. I don't know. Actually, people might think either one's interesting, but I think it is.
0: It might get a little graphic, but we're gonna talk about lobotomies. Is it gonna get graphic? (laughs) I want to know.
1: Um, I, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's not graphic. I'm a terrible judge. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I'm terrible. Well, for you, it's not because this is your field. But for the average person, don't you think it might be? I mean, it's kind of gross.
1: You know, I was a little interested in the show when they showed it.
0: Yeah. God. Okay. We're just going to get into it. Some people might not actually know because I didn't know until I watched the show like exactly what a lobotomy was. Um Mm. But yeah, so in episode two, episode two is called Ice Pick for a reason, because it finally reveals Dr. Hanover's breakthrough treatment, the lobotomy, the frontal lobotomy. So basically in the episode, he's got four patients who are at St. Lucia, and they're going to undergo this new procedure. So he has everybody in the operating room. There's like a gallery. So everyone sits down. They're going to watch this new treatment that he's going to do. And there's four Mm -hmm. people. And they all have different reasons as to why they're there at the facility. There's one lady who is a lesbian. And, you know, back then they used to do lobotomies on people that really didn't need parts of their brain removed. Like they used to do it to people who were gay. um, Mm -hmm. Just people who had chronic depression. Yeah, chronic depression. Um, one, one of the patients in the, in the episode, he had um, ADD. Mm-hmm. So, there's just a lot of n- unnecessary reasons why they used to do lobotomies, but they used to think that it was like a way to cure people. So, I mean, that's obviously what Dr. Hanover thinks. Anyway, <laughs> do you want to talk about lobotomies and are they commonplace today? So, lobotomies, I think they are very interesting
1: just from a historical perspective. So, lobotomies actually started off more in Europe, and it first started off as psychosurgery. So, this is where you hear, like, they literally will open the skull, and they'll take parts of your brain out. (laughs) And when it first started out, it was more to treat schizophrenia. Okay. So, they would just randomly, there, there wasn't really a like a systematic way to do it or procedure but they would just take out certain areas of the brain with people who had schizophrenia and these doctors were like hey wow so these people had schizophrenia who were erratic they were you know excitable you know they were delusional having hallucinations now they don't have them anymore
0: yeah they don't happen anymore because they fucked up their brain and now they're a vegetable (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exactly. So they basically attributed that the loss of those positive symptoms of schizophrenia means that they were better or cured, which obviously is not true. You're totally right, Christian. From there, there was actually neurologists Walter Freeman and James Watts, and they were actually in North America, and they modified your traditional lobotomy. So this is the one I think that you're seeing in Nurse Ratched. This type of lobotomy, basically what they do is they drill a small one-centimeter burr hole through a facial cheekbone area so either side and then they have an insertion of some type of object and with more time um, basically this was more modified and these neurologists finally ended up using an ice pick to do that so that's why i think they called the episode ice pick because then that was the treatment of choice to use an ice pick
0: to drill that hole into that facial cheekbone area what they did was once they started using the ice pick, they put it in the eye socket and then they mm-hmm. would hit it with a little hammer and it would go crunch. And then it would hit that part of the prefrontal cortex and then boom. Catch. Yep. And you hear that explosion
1: of um, bones going everywhere.
0: That's disgusting. And then they turn into. Yeah. Why do some people turn into vegetables and some people don't?
1: Well, I think it's because everybody is different as far as like, that's an impact to your brain. So either some people have brain plasticity, which basically means that they're able to rewire their brain, they're ab- their brain is able to kind of come back from injury, while well, maybe some others, it's difficult for their brain to repair itself. Also, it could have to do with like, how hard you're hitting the ice pick, um, how much swelling also is
0: happening. There's so many different factors. So... When was this, Um, like, when did the lobotomy become a thing? Like, what year? So
1: this method that I was talking about, so they ended up using an eye spic, like I stated, and then they continued to modify that, so from the facial cheekbone. Then they started to use that in the um, eye area as well. And, like you said, it goes in the prefrontal cortex, and that was adopted around the 1930s, so the late 1930s.
0: But they would do these for years and years because I... I think I read somewhere that John F. Kennedy's sister had a lobotomy. So that I don't know when that would have been, but
1: that would have been probably after that. Yeah, a little bit, I would say.
0: Oh my god!
1: Ugh, probably around the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties. Maybe that's when you see that little decrease of lobotomies. So they were still being done, but probably not at the higher rates that it was
0: in the early nineteen you know hundreds. I wonder when they finally realized, like, who had that epi- that epiphany that this shit doesn't work. So
1: actually there was something that I was reading. They were stating that a lot of medical professionals started to kind of, you know, band together and say, hey, this is unfair treatment to people. Actually, it really doesn't cure schizophrenia. It doesn't cure these severe psychological conditions. And we need to find more ethical, more appropriate ways to try and treat those things. So really, um, what ended up happening, medication kind of came into play. So... Thorazine was actually the first psychotherapeutic drug that was approved to treat schizophrenia. It actually treated those positive symptoms of schizophrenia that prior people were using lobotomies to treat. So it's less invasive to Mm. use medication.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, medicine's always going to be less invasive than um, any kind of surgery or anything like that. But oh my gosh. Okay. Well, hopefully that wasn't too graphic for you guys. I think that was the most graphic thing we're going to talk about.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was exciting, but maybe some of you guys who don't like a little gore probably did not like that too much.
0: <laughs> no, I, I can't do anything that has to do with the eyeball. Sorry. Mm-mm. No? <laughs> nope. Nope. Remember in Coven when Sarah Paulson, like, takes out her eyeballs? Oh, or... yeah. Yeah. Oh my that was so gross. Okay. So... Is it possible to fake mental illness? In the show, we see Mildred's brother, Edmund. He's, uh, I don't know, I would call him a psychopath after we did that vampires episode about psychopathology. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. I think he's a psychopath. Edmund ends up in St. Lucia, which you've come to find out that's exactly why Mildred wanted a job there, because she wanted a way to see him. Um, And he had murdered, like, five priests in a really just gory awful way so he ends up there at Saint Lucia and it's up to the doctor to determine whether or not he should be put to death because if he's mentally ill then he won't be put to death on the electric chair but if he's not then he will so Mildred kind of hopes that she can you know coerce the doctor into thinking that her brother is mentally ill and at the same time Mm -hmm. Edmund is trying to convince the doctor that, he, that he's crazy, so he starts, you know, saying a lot of crazy stuff, like he's imagining, you know, like aliens and antennas in his head and, you know, just really trying to give a convincing performance to make it seem like he has schizophrenia. But, you know, Dr. Hanover doesn't really see it. He kind of thinks that he's basically trying to get out of capital punishment by faking mental illness. I mean, I felt like he kind of gave a convincing performance. So I was going to ask Heather, you know, is it possible to fake mental illness? So I did want to
1: talk about my own feelings when I was looking at that particular scene that you're talking about where Edmund is, you know, rambling on. You know, he's talking about these antennas in his head. And I was like, wow, like, that's pretty good. You know, I was looking at it like Mm -hmm. he's doing like X y and z like all i was like wow everything's in there that's a pretty good interpretation and i was thinking like it's too good Mm. it's too good it's like almost like straight up textbook like like someone studied it
0: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah
1: sure enough i think dr hanover obviously as you stated he kind of says you know what this is you know you're just playing me basically so can someone fake mental illness i mean i think you can okay This is kind of like, again, a yes and no answer. Mm -hmm. I think you could fake it for a short amount of time. But I think over a long period of time, you're going to find the inconsistencies, Mm -hmm. basically. So I don't think people can hold
0: it up for that long,
1: basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that'd be really hard to do. There's so many things and details, I think, that somebody who has probably, you know, worked with schizophrenic patients their whole life, they're going to be able to tell.
1: Oh, yeah. They're definitely gonna be able to tell. And because people, when they do study about it, I think, or they're trying to, you know, act like they have schizophrenia, they're only going to do what is most popular. But a clinician is going to see the other side of it. What are some things that does happen with schizophrenia, but it's not really, you know, mass produced or it's not that everybody knows that it happens. Yeah, basically. like something
0: that's not always talked about or that you always see on TV. Exactly. hmm hmm so,
1: this faking of mental illness, it actually has a name. Oh. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised, of course. <laughs> I wish you could see her eyes right now. They kind of rolled back. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, when people fake mental illness, it is called malingering. Malingering. Okay. I know. Such an interesting word. So, what is malingering? To define it, it basically means when someone's dishonest and they're intentionally exaggerating their own physical or psychological symptoms and typically it has to do with them gaining something
0: yeah well in this case Edmund would be gaining his life he wouldn't lose his not dying Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly
1: so that's definitely an external gain for him so it does seem like he's malingering not to say that you know he probably has probably a personality disorder I would say for sure oh yeah but I don't think, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't think that's um justifiable cause for insanity. So, you know, they're more looking at schizophrenia, you know, something more with psychosis when mm-hmm. it comes to that. Mm-hmm. So that's why he went the schizophrenia route, I think. Because he's like, okay, for sure, I'm not going to be put to death because that can really prove that I'm insane.
0: Mm-hmm. Obviously,
1: it didn't work out for him. How can we see if someone's malingering? So, obviously, you have to look at their symptoms. So what are the symptoms they're inventing? Also, how often are they describing it? Are they like repeatedly talking about it over and over and over again? Um, Are they exaggerating to a very high extent? Um, Looking at that, is there like a cause of the symptoms? And is that cause actually something that's realistic for their symptoms as well? So obviously with Edmund, there's an exaggeration. Like he just walks in there and just start. It's like almost like it's a theater, you know, like he's getting on a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he's getting on a
0: show. Mm -hmm.
1: So, those are just some ways that you can see if someone's malingering.
0: So, there's something else that is kind of, well, different, similar, I don't know, related to malingering in a way that Heather's going to be talking about here. But I want to give you guys a couple of examples before she brings that up. So in this show, the governor arrives to the facility, the governor of California, and Nurse Ratched, or Mildred, makes this patient sick so that she can show off the hospital's abilities. So she makes this guy sick on purpose so that she can save him. And uh, in a way, you know, it kind of helps the governor win his re-election campaign because he's going to make this mental health initiative like a thing for him. And so, you know, if he he helps out this hospital that does good things in this field, then, you know, it, it'll help him get reelected, basically. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a stunt that, you know, she pulled. Then there's also this really weird part of the show where Mildred wants to be compassionate in her own way. So she tells this guy who is really depressed because his family is not coming to visit him. And they keep telling him that they're going to let him out to go visit his family but Mm -hmm. the truth is they never have plans to let him out so mildred knows oh they're giving him false hope you know what i'm gonna go tell him that's gonna throw him over the edge and then i'm gonna tell him that there's a really sharp letter opener in dr hanover's office and i'm gonna tell him exactly where he can go find it because you know maybe he just wants to end it all and so i'm gonna put that little idea into his head And sure enough, he goes over there, gets it, and then he kills himself.
1: Mm. I mean, I would say that last example is definitely psychopathic. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is that the first example that Kristen talked about where Nurse Ratched purposely makes a patient sick, and I think he had like a seizure, he was on the floor or something. When I first saw that, it kind of gave me like alarm bells of a disorder that I've heard about and sometimes it gets confused with malingering. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. So that disorder that I thought it could have been is factitious disorder, otherwise known as Munchausen syndrome.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like when you first saw, you know, the first example we talked about, you were kind of thinking, oh, this is kind of like Munchausen's. But then the second one happened and then we're like... Uh, then now there's something else to that here. <laughs> uh, I was
1: like, uh-uh, never mind, never mind. Because I think I was expecting her to keep doing that. That's what I thought she was – because I didn't know – I don't think at that point I made the connection about her brother – so I thought maybe she got hired so she c- could, you know, do that. Like,
0: that's what she wanted to do. Yeah, like continuing to make people sick on purpose so that she could take care of them and help them in her weird yes. way. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yes, yeah, so I was like, Munchausen's. But then, like you said, you know, example number two. I was like, oh, okay, no, this is a little bit more. So there's something <laughs> else going on with her. So how do we distinguish between malingering and factitious disorder? So with malingering... This is when someone purposely is faking, you know, an illness. It could be physical or psychological. And going back to Edmund, he had a gain, right? There was, like, some type of external ex- incentive. So, either he wasn't going to die. Um, and more commonplace, like today, people may malinger to get, like, disability benefits, for example. Right? Uh-oh. They may fake that they're more sick than they really are so they can get benefits. So, that's, like, some type of incentive versus factitious disorder or munchausen syndrome there's really not an external incentive for the person they're just thinking that they're sick or and um, the one that we're talking about now which is munchausen syndrome by proxy um, that's when someone purposely makes other people sick and they continue to do that because they enjoy maybe taking care of them they enjoy the control but there's really not some external incentive for
0: them. yeah so munchausen's by proxy was the thing that you thought she might have had because of the time that she made that guy sick but then we were like nah that's not what she has because she's just got all these other psychopathic tendencies and um edmund doesn't have that because he's more like malingering with all the more malingering Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. man all this stuff can get really complicated huh it does, yeah.
1: So I was I, when I first thought I was like, okay, this I, I want to talk to you about it because at first I was like, I don't think she's Munchausen syndrome at proxy, but I think we're right. You know, that was just like a one isolated case. But if
0: she were to continue it, then probably. So I hope all of that made sense to you guys. But there's definitely more that we're going to be talking about. So now we're going to talk about the thing you guys have probably all been waiting for: multiple personality disorder otherwise known as dissociative identity disorder. Ooh,
1: all right. So in the show Ratched, there is a character named Charlotte, and she's presenting with symptoms of multiple personality disorder. And it appears that she has about four personalities. So we're going to go ahead and briefly describe each of those four personalities. The first personality is Charlotte Wells, so herself. Um, She looks like, you know, she's kind of, you know, shy. You know, she doesn't really engage a lot with others, kind of meek, Um, a broken woman. So you see that there's something that happened to her. Mm -hmm. And we don't know exactly what yet. And then you start to see her just transition into a different personality throughout the show. So baby Taffy is one of those. And this is kind of like a childlike personality. So this is um, a personality that's looking for their mom. Very small, very innocent. They act very vulnerable. Then the third personality is Apollo. And this is Charlotte's alter ego, I guess you could say, where this person is an athlete. Um, Basically, she states that he bested the Nazi leader, Adolf Hitler, at his own Olympics by winning five medals. I would say this um, personality is very assertive very strong. Um, You can also tell that there's a lot of rage with this personality, specifically against Hitler because he was a tyrant. And you could say that during that moment of rage that we're seeing, maybe it's kind of being transferred to her own suppressed rage because we do find out later on that she was actually a victim of violence.
0: Yeah. um, It was really sad because Charlotte she's african-american and she was targeted by these four white men who beat her took off her clothes um you know like made her undress and they just left her starving in a basement in an abandoned house for nine days and on the ninth day Mm -hmm. a police officer found her in her condition and basically told her like hey if you don't press charges like i'll help you out and let you go I thought that was so messed up, just
1: terrible. And you know that probably happened a lot back then. You know, it probably still happens today. Oh, yeah. You know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's just, I feel like that even adds to her own trauma. The fact that, you know, someone, you know, did save her, but she's really, it really wasn't saving her. So it's really like what she experienced. I don't think she's felt validated at
0: all. No, of course not. I mean, it was completely diminished. Mm
1: Mm-hmm
0: yeah so, so you know then here she goes she invents these personalities oh we missed one mhm Odine. I was gonna, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. and then finally last but not least Odine. um
1: this is one of my favorites i just i just like you know anytime there's a character in a tv show where they act like you know, very proper, very prissy in a sense, you know, <laughs> just, I don't know, I find it kind of funny. So that's what Odin is. She's a very dominant personality. She basically says she's a self-proclaimed world-renowned musician Ooh. and talks about all of the symphony she's played and how great she is. And I think the first scene that we ever see her, she's actually
0: demeaning A kid who (laughs) plays an instrument, right? Yeah, there's a kid playing the violin, and she's Odine, so she ends up, like, making him feel bad for playing crappy. But he's not playing crappy, but she's saying that he is. I mean, I think Uh that has a lot to do with her feeling like she wants to be someone who feels that confident about themselves. I mean, obviously Uh that uh, these personalities are a way of her coping with what she went through that trauma Mm -hmm. and this is one personality that helps her in that way yeah i definitely agree with you
1: especially because odine is a very like bold personality like she's gonna say whatever she wants she's not gonna let anybody step over her and maybe this personality was invented by charlotte because maybe she wished she could be like that
0: Mm -hmm.
1: whenever she experienced that assault
0: yeah yeah
1: Okay, how often does dissociative identity disorder happen? Oh,
0: yeah, like how rare is it? Is it
1: rare? I knew you were going to ask me this question, so (laughs) I put it in here. So in the U.S., um, basically, there's a lot of studies done, but they say about in the U.S., about 1.5%. And when we're looking at different genders, they say that 1.6% of males can experience DID or dissociative identity disorder. And then 1.4% for females. So I thought it was interesting. Men are more likely to have it than women. For some reason, I thought that women would have it more than men. Yeah, that's exactly... That's why I think it's interesting because I had the other... That's what I was thinking too. But apparently men, you find them more oftenly with this disorder. So obviously, it's it's not very common. You know, this is... um, Because typically with dissociative identity disorder, what they relate it to is when someone has like an overwhelming experience, like a traumatic event, um, some abuse that they happened either in childhood or adulthood. So because that trauma is severely felt by that person, they may develop a personality to cope with that trauma they're experiencing. So there's a lot of correlation or a lot of relationships between having dissociative identity or multiple personality and having some form of trauma. But it is rare. Usually when someone does experience trauma, they're more likely to have, like, post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that.
0: Do you know, like, how many personalities they, like, have on average? Mm -hmm. (laughs) On average, it actually varies. There's really not
1: an average number. I wasn't able to find that. But according to the manual that we discussed. I'm not going to go into the whole (laughs) wording of it, but the manual that we discussed that diagnoses psychological disorders. In order to be diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality, you have to have two or more personalities. Two or more. Okay. Also, you have to have like a loss of your sense of self, So basically what that means is that, you know, you have periods where you don't remember things or you're just not in control of your actions. Yeah, like you black out. Yeah, either you can black out. Um, Sometimes, actually, I found some research, which I thought it was interesting, that some people with this disorder report feeling that they have suddenly become depersonalized and they're like a third party observing their own speech, their own actions. It's kind of like... Okay. Like out of body almost.
0: Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah.
1: It's crazy. Some people say they feel powerless um, to stop these actions that they're doing. So that's kind of that loss of sense of self. Like you're seeing yourself doing these things, but you're not able to control anything.
0: But how do they know for sure that you have it? Like, do they do a brain scan? Do they like try to trigger you to get you to turn into these other ones (laughs) oh my goodness for what well
1: usually from what i was reading typically people don't come out and say like hey i have dissociative identity disorder um usually they don't know that they have it so it's kind of from a recollection from people around them so people around them are saying like hey you know this is happening to you and they're like well, what are you talking about yeah. so it's more on the people around them telling them and then they go get help that's typically how it happens
0: that's really crazy yeah because sometimes
1: they don't even know that they're switching personalities
0: yeah they don't all have that um, like out of body experience when it happens when they switch mm-hmm. uh, yeah sometimes like you said
1: they completely black out and they could wake up somewhere that they have no idea how they got there
0: that's crazy that's crazy
1: Mm -hmm. And also in some cases, um, people who have the disorder, they could um, hear voices sometimes like a child's voice crying, uh, maybe a voice of a supernatural or spiritual being. Um, Sometimes it could be, you know, independent thoughts, but there's no control of these thoughts. And they also experience very strong emotions and impulses. So these are all just some things that research has found with people who have experienced this condition. So, overall, when you have DID, because you're switching personalities, especially if you're, you know, blacking out, I guess you could say, you're going to have a lot of trouble remembering what you did that day, remembering, you know, important information about yourself, and just a lot of forgetting. So, you may see that as, like, a symptom that they're not, like, you may have talked to them the other
0: day, for example, and they may not remember that. Well, obviously, like, there's no cure to this, like, every Anybody who experiences this is going to have it their whole lifetime, right? So, you know, interestingly, there's not a lot of research
1: on this topic um, because it's still being researched. And I guess also because it's not as common. So it's hard to really, you know, do that research on people who have this. Um, But basically what they have said as far as like curing or treating it, that the best treatment is to do a final fusion which basically means to integrate all the personalities together and make them aware of one another, which takes a long time.
0: I know. If you would imagine. Obviously, like, okay, my God, we're going to be on this forever. But anyway, I know we wanted to talk about hypnosis because Mm -hmm. here we have Dr. Hanover in the show who's like a mad scientist and he thinks he can just like, you know, cure everybody. And hypnosis is just going to do the trick and it's going to snap Charlotte out of her disorder.
1: Yeah. So, and you're going to ask me about this. So, actually, hypnosis has been used with dissociative identity disorder. However, it's not the main treatment. Um, Obviously, it depends on like the clinician's experience. Like, are they, you know, experts in hypnosis? And it can be beneficial in cases where you want to. Tap into the trauma that they can't remember. But really, what research has shown is that it's not really necessary to do that. And sometimes when you do hypnosis, people may create false memories. So that's why hypnosis is not like the first line of treatment when it comes to this.
0: Mm. What was the one that he was doing with the whole spinny thing? And it looks like a spark. No, that was hypnosis. Well, yeah, 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 but like, the, is that always how it is? Because I feel like that's very old timey where you have like that <laughs> thing that spins and it looks like you're falling into a spiral, like Alice in Wonderland shit. Okay, yeah. So, typically, I swear, if that were happening today, I'd probably laugh. Like,
1: if someone were to do that, I mean, I don't think they do that anymore. It's more about talking the person through it, you know, getting them to a relaxed state. It's not really, you know, using like this little circle thing. Um, You may use like a sound kind of like in meditation, to get them to refocus, right? So you may use like a thing that clicks back and forth,
0: Mm. but not really that spherical weirdness that you see in there. Yeah, yeah, because the way he was doing it was just kind of like how they used to do it back in the day, like you're feeling you're getting very sleepy, very sleepy. Yeah, people don't do that.
1: It's more about, I would say it's very similar to just talking to the person, kind of like a guided meditation hypnosis is more like that nowadays where you're just talking the person and how to get them to the relaxed state. Um, You did say earlier, one last thing, um, can you, how do you diagnose it as well? Like when it comes to like brain regions and, you know, imaging. So they have found that this multiple personality disorder has been associated with the orbit frontal cortex, hippocampus, parahippocampus gyrus, and amygdala. So... All these have to do with different things, but basically the hippocampus has to do with long-term memories, which makes sense. You're not able to remember what you did that day because you, you know, were blacking out or were in a different personality. Also, the hippocampal gyrus has to do with memory as well. And then amygdala has to do with emotions. And then the orbitofrontal cortex has to do with visual perception.
0: I can't pronounce half the ones you just listed.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> i probably
0: didn't do it right so give me credit guys
1: <laughs> i know it's it's a lot so yes so you can't see it on a brain scan so it's kind of interesting okay. oh my gosh
0: well i feel like we could be here forever like talking about multiple personality disorder we're probably gonna have to do another episode don't you think i think so i think we'll probably go a little bit more in detail and maybe we'll choose um a different
1: person yeah with multiple personality
0: yeah that would be good but You know, guys, like, I'm sorry if this whole episode seemed kind of like, I don't know, disorganized or whatever, but this outline was so tough to put together. There's just like a bunch of things that we wanted to talk about, and we didn't even get to all of them. Like, this show? No. Yeah, this show, right? There's a hundred other topics that we could have talked about. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? We also want to thank you guys for being so patient. I know we didn't have that episode, this episode come out on Monday like we wanted to, and it's a special Halloween episode. But you know what? Sometimes we all need a break. Heather just had way too much on her plate. I don't even know how she handles all that she does. But we just wanted to, th- wanted to thank you guys. Well, we, I thank you too for giving me that little bit of compassion, guys. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> And hopefully, you guys enjoyed this episode. Yes. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever listening platform that you're using. And please, please share, follow us on social media on Instagram at PsychWinePop. And you can also email us at psychwinepop at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for future topics and episodes for either candid conversations or even movies or TV shows you think we should cover. Yes, we'll love to hear them. Until next time.
1: This podcast is not meant to replace or supplement medical advice from a health practitioner. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only.